Good morning, beloved. It's an awesome time when we go to, together to the Lord in understanding that we are His and He's ours. And we just saying that the, all the shackles of the chains were broken and we're no longer slaves, right? We are children of God. It is an amazing thing. We're going back to Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, please open Romans chapter 8. We're going to pick up where Tim left last week from verses 5 to verse 8. You know, I have spent a lot of time in Romans 8. And this is the greatest chapter of all chapters. And I have proved that I love Romans 8 because the pages of my Bible are different color. And all honesty, I, I, I spilled a cup of coffee on it when I was studying it. And so now it's forever different color. But from this, you could conclude that I love two things in the world. Romans chapter 8 and a good cup of coffee. But if you're here with me, we are um, diving in into this no condemnation thing, that Christians have not been condemned any longer since we have uh, Christ himself. And uh, as a way of introduction, I want to just tell you that this text is talking about two different categories of people. Now, the whole world is divided into different categories. And you could see, I have some PowerPoint over there. Thank you. Um, and there are two different people, category of people, right? They divide it in two different stratospheres. They don't talk to one another. They don't communicate, right? And there's another one. Right? The way how you hang your toilet paper, Right, it's just completely off, like, why would you ever do this way? And there's another one, right, coffee or tea. People are different, there's categories of people or the political party you belong to, right? So Democrats or Republican. But I tell you, this is not it. This is not how we divide it. There are two different categories in the world that they don't really have almost nothing in common. There are two distinct people in group, and two distinct groups in the world. And they are people of flesh and people of the spirit. There are no hybrids. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. There are two distinct categories. There are unbelievers who live under the slavery of the flesh, and the believers who are free from that slavery and subjected themselves to the Spirit of God. And the gap between these two groups is so great that it's greater than Great Canyon. It is so big. Even though superficially, when you look at the person, you would say, I'm not really sure where do you belong, but when God looks at these people, when looks at these groups, there is no question in his mind, and there's no question in the Scripture where they belong. The distinction between these people, it's like between distinction between the corpse, the old dead person, and a newborn child. You cannot miss it. 
Now, we have already with Tim for the last couple of sessions went to Romans chapter 8, where in chapter, verse 1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the setting point that the category of believers, they are in separate sphere. They are in Christ, and therefore there is no condemnation. The Romans 8 starts with the condemnation and ends with no condemnation. It ends with the love of God, and there's no separation from the love of God. And this statement in Romans 1, chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation, it is so sure, it is more sure than 2 plus 2 equals 4. Far more sure than that. And this is the end of the story, that there is no addition to this equation. That if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no if and buts and, and other qualifications. There's nothing else. You're either in or out. You're either not condemned or under condemnation. And so the whole Romans chapter 8 is setting us for this victorious life in Christ and assurance of God's love toward us. That we should not ever doubt that he loves me because I am in Christ. And because he cannot separate himself from his son, Jesus Christ, If you find yourself in Jesus Christ, you have never been separated. Never will be separated from his son because he cannot separate from Jesus. And that allows us to come in God's presence in all that we deal in with this life with assurance that he's our father and we call him Abba Father through the power of the spirit even though we suffer with Christ and suffer along with all creations and we are waiting until that picture that your child of God would be revealed at the end of the age. So Paul, in these verses, is going to tell us a detailed descriptions of those two groups so you would figure out where are you and that you will gain courage and love and assurance that you are God's. Let's read with me Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. So that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh, here's our passage. For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the man, mind of set on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in flesh cannot please God, however, you are not in the flesh. 
My main point is Paul's main point that you are not obligation to the flesh because in verse 12, he concludes this section and he says, so then brethren, we're not under obligation. Not under obligation to the flesh. And the idea is that since God placed you in Jesus, you are no longer condemned, but you also have no obligations to everybody and anybody, including your own self-flesh, to prone you to guilt before God. Those who are in Christ Jesus have has been set free from every obligation to the flesh because they are no longer in the flesh but in the spirit. That's the basic premise. I may be broad, but we're going to get a little bit more detailed, and I want to build this argument on four pillars, that we as Christians have four distinct things from unchristian, from non-Christian. And we'll see the biggest contrast that could ever be made in the scripture. The first thing that we're different in is our nature. The second is our mindset. The third is our experience of life, and fourth is our relationship with God. And that every one of those arguments or their pillars are building upon like a ladder. Because we have a different nature, we have different mindset. Because we have a different mindset, we will have different experiences in life. And because we have different experiences, we have different relationship with the Father. Look at this. Chapter 8, verse 5 starts with the distinct natures. Two groups, two different, completely different natures. And here's the clearest distinction because in chapter 5, verse 5, he says, for those who are according to the flesh. I want to notice that the fleshly nature, that's the problem of humanity. Paul doesn't say that the flesh does this or that, the flesh feels this or that. He just states those who are according to the flesh. What is he aiming at? He's aiming at our being, at our nature, at our essence. We have this ontology or ontological argument where we look at the essence of who person is, right? We study who is he. When we study animals, we say, well, this, that's their ontology. That's who they are. And when Paul says, those who are outside of Christ, they have fleshly nature. And that is their problem. The essence of them. Literally meaning that they are flesh. And this is all. <laughs> There's nothing else. It is flesh. Now, you say everybody has flesh and blood and bones and, and, uh, and blood, but... but Paul is saying, well, no, the flesh is that we derive from Adam, sinful flesh, flesh that is unable to do anything good or pleasant in God's eyes. And in that sense, the whole world is fleshly. The whole world ontologically have this problem of having nothing but sinful flesh. And we got this origin of this flesh from our forefather Adam. Right? He, he gave it to us. He granted to us. Adam and Eve was created in bones and flesh and blood, but they were sinless. And then they decided to set some, themselves apart from God. And with that, sin came in and corrupted their all body, mind, and all that they have. And the problem is not what they did after. 
The problem is that who they became. They became in a bondage of sin because who they were. And in that sense, everybody on this earth is equal. Everybody. We read it before with Tim in chapter 3 of Romans, verse 9. Paul is arguing, look, everybody has this problem, ontological problem. Nobody, no, it doesn't matter what you did. The problem is who you are. He said, what is then, are we better than they, meaning that we're better than Jews who disobey and we Gentiles? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Look, before Christ's death, God was ready to pour out the, the bucket of wrath on this earth. And the earth would be done like it was done in days of Noah. But it didn't happen. It is because Christ came up on the cross and this bucket of wrath was poured out on him and the world have seen another day. And that's why we're here and living. In this sense, we're all equal because we're united with Adam in our sinful nature. And that nature offers nothing else but sin. And Romans 5.12 says, if you think that you're kind of different from everybody in the world, Paul says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into this world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. Now, if you are dying, that means that you have sin in your body. And that means that you have the nature as atoms. We've been infused with the sin. You know, we don't like when people are sneezing around us. We say, bless you, right? But we really wanted to get away from that person so we don't get sick and infused with these viruses. But here we have nowhere to go. The whole earth is under the wrath of God because we are being infused with the sin. And there's nothing that we could have done. Nothing to avoid it. So the problem is not of how sinful you are and what you do in life. Oh, I, you did this, you felt this, you sinned this. The problem is who you are. How are you going to fix of who you are? And God is comparing this to another group in verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh. They are just flesh. And he says, set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's the consequences. But those who are according to the spirit. You see, there's another nature are according to the spirit. In other words, we'd say another group is spiritual. The first group is completely fleshly, and the other group is completely spiritual. Those who are according to the spirit. Now you need thinking like, I look at myself and I don't see that. I look at you and I don't see that you're all spiritual, right? Listen, but, but Paul doesn't tell them, like, you have to be more spiritual here. Don't you see that? He doesn't say, I understand your problem, ontological problem. I understand that this is who you are, right? I understand that you, that you have this uh, sin. But how about we try to do a little bit better? How about, how about you try your best to be a little bit more spiritual? Is that what we encourage in one another? How about you, you be more, a little bit more spiritual? But if we understand that the problem is not of us trying, the problem is who we are and everything that proceeds out of us, we understand that this is, would be the, the, 
the useless encouragement because how can a mosquito who sucks the blood stop sucking blood unless it changed the nature? You know, the other day we were sitting at the porch with my wife and there's a bunch of flying mosquitoes and they're biting. It would be useless to just sit and have a conversation with them and bring the arguments and say, well, Luke, stop. I need my blood. Stop sucking my blood because that's the mosquitoes. That's who they are. Unless the nature is changed, nothing could be done. But Paul says, you are spiritual. You are of the spirit. You are according to the spirit. Not sometimes, not maybe, not if, but you are. You are in different categories. You're completely different categories because you've been infused with a different nature. Different nature. Believers are completely of a different nature because they derive their origin from God himself. Remember Jesus talking to Nicodemus who could not wrap his mind around like, how can a man be born again? And he said, well, he can't. The fact that they must, it's there, but they can't. And Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is half spirit. No, it is spirit, right? It's, it's, not, it's not a hybrid between the flesh and the spirit. It is spirit. So there is a great separation. We're spiritual because we've been infused with the blood and, and sacrifices of Jesus Christ. And it's not just that he paid for us on the cross and give us ticket to heaven. And so we unchanged and just wrath under the wrath of God going with this ticket. And so please let us in because somebody paid for us but he infused us with his own nature and that we become his children. In 1 Peter, 2 Peter 2, uh, 2 Peter 1, 4, 1, 3 and 4, it says this. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to born again. We've been born again. You, that nature that we receive from Adam, nothing we could do with that unless God met us somewhere and he said, I'm going to give you a new birth. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then verse four, for by these he had granted to us his precious and magnificent promise so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Look, if you would rip open the spiritual man or believer and go right into the heart of that man, you will find a new man. A new man that has DNA tracking back to God. That's what Paul says, so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled not only for us, but in us. And all of a sudden, that nature is pure. Because it's from God, it cannot be otherwise. Do you think that God shared his nature with you? Or you think just you've been closed with the righteousness of Christ and that's it? Do you think you are by name, just by name a child of God, that you've been adopted into the kingdom of God and to his family and that is it? I tell you more, you've been birthed into this God's family. This new man, this new nature, that you possess as Christian is a godly man. 
as a spiritual man, as a righteous man, the one who loves God with all his heart, who always enjoys the things of God. The inner man is a spiritual man and therefore has nothing to do with the flesh. Nothing. And that's how we identify ourselves. Since we are in Christ Jesus with all our problems and sin, we're going to get to that point. We think about ourselves as God think about ourselves. That we are his children being given birth by his spirit, indwelled by the spirit, going to a new destiny to spend time with him forever and ever. Now, such a contrast with the flesh. (laughs) Because if you want to get rid of flesh, you know what you need to do with the flesh? You can't transform it. You can't remodel it. You can't change it. You kill it. And you bury it. That's what you do with the flesh. Now you say, well, well, you say that we have this new nature. It says for you or those who are, who are of the spirit, they're, they're according to the things of the spirit. What happened to this old nature? I'll tell you what happened to this old nature. It's been crucified on the cross. And it's dead. It's not living and kicking and screaming. And therefore, we don't have to go back and kill our flesh. It's been done for us because you would never able to kill your flesh. Christ nailed it to the cross. Let me give you a couple of illustrations from Galatians chapter 5.24. He says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, with, crucified the flesh with his passion and desire. It's have been crucified. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. Does this old man coming back from the cross and and intrudes our life and demands something from us and makes us sin? No. He's been crucified. Romans 6.6, we know that our old self was crucified with him. So that's what happened to your old nature. Now we'll come back and say, well, why am I still feeling this pressure and sin? You know, sometimes we're driving with our family and it feels like the devil himself drives the car, right? It's like, it's like where does it come from, from me? But Paul is given step by step. He said, you have no condemnation because you are in Christ Jesus. And you have no condemnation because Christ fulfilled for you and in you, and he gave you a new nature. You belong to a different category of people, never going to come to judgment, never going to come to the great white throne, us under the seats who would be judged, never. You bypass from death to life right away, and you possess a new nature. Now, this nature thinks differently. Now, these two distinct natures, they think differently. And point number two, two distinct mindsets, two distinct mindsets. And you could see clearly, for those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. I mean, there's nothing else. They, they, they don't set their minds on nothing else but the flesh. And, and, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. I mean, this two category, two different mindsets. One, think fleshly thoughts, leads to death hostile toward God, does not subject itself to God, always against it, unable to please God. And another, 
have the things of the Spirit in the mind, has mindset of life and peace, and by implication, friends of God, and obedience to his, obedient to his law, and pleasing to him. So one commentator said, the way one thinks is intimately leads to the way one lives. That's just implication. So who you are, this is how you think, and this is how you're going to behave. Right? And the thought about mindset, he said that mindset, it, it means that it's more just, just thoughts. It's your emotions, it's your desires, it's your goal in life. What are you about? And you're going to portray this with how you think, and you're going to speak about it. And you're going to do things which it's deep in your in your mind, right? People do not think themselves into the way they act, but act themselves into the way they think. So it's just like, oops, accidentally happened to you, I didn't think about it. No, you have thought about it, and that's why you obey, and you obey your thinking. And so the distinction is that the fleshly thing, fleshly groups, group thinks like flesh, good thing. The flesh thinks about flesh and this world and the material world, and this is it. That's, that's the boundaries. There's no, no way you could think any other things. Let me give you an illustration. For instance, if you have a dog, right? No matter how you're enjoying this dog, you know that deep inside, he's not a human, right? It's, it's not your child. It, it's still a dog, right? Because dog thinks dog thoughts, right? And dog have, has dog's feelings, right? Because dog lives dog's life. Why? Because he's a dog, of course. What else could he think? And even though sometimes that appears that this dog understands exactly what you're going through, right? and you have conversation like with real child, I tell you, no amount of education and conversation would turn him into man. He would still die as a dog. And a fleshly person cannot think godly thoughts. Cannot. There's no capacity. The mind does not comprehend and understand because you have to be spiritually appraised. You have to be educated and given new nature and given a new mindset to be able to think this way. The fleshly mind just simply cannot. The nature dictates what you think about and therefore, as a consequence, what you're going to do. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, but a natural man does not accept the things of God, of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. They're just like, it doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? Like I, I, I read this, uh, or I listened to this uh, guru, if I could find. His name is Sadhguru, Indian popular guru. You probably, it's popping up like everywhere, in TikTok, everywhere. He's just like wise thoughts. And, he, and he, here's what he said. This is the, the, the Mount Everest of the fleshly thinking. This is like, that's, he, he won the Nobel Prize for the being fleshly. He says, people who think that there is better place than this earth and that there's a better life beyond this death are criminals are criminals, because you're looking for something better than this, what we really are. What, why is he saying this? But I don't blame him, because he can't see beyond the grave. There is nothing. Of course, he's going to think fleshly 
thoughts. And therefore, his life orientation would be all around flesh. Like thinking about uh, cars and, and, and money and your fame. And, and, and the thought of God is not there. The mind's set on these things. You know, have you tried to put the fence around your you know, uh, backyard and, and you, you dig a hole and you put the pole and the pole is not set. It's just going all around. But then you put a pour concrete and it's still wobbling. But when the concrete sets, there's nothing, you know, changes. It stays that way. Same thing with the mindset of a fleshly. They think fleshly thoughts and that's all they have. But it says that we have mind of Christ. <laughs> we have the mind of Christ and the believer, their think and their thoughts according to the spirit because he's all about the things of the spirit. I could flip it around and say believer's mind is always set on the things of the spirit. And since I am spiritual, you know, I have no obligation to fleshly thoughts. They come my way. And I have no obligation to act upon them. Who are you? Because there's a change in my nature, according to Christ himself, right? But the question is, why am I still feeling? Sis, like, brother, are you saying that I am the spiritual person, right? But, but you said yourself that you have this sinful thoughts and sinful behaviors. What is happening? I see what you're saying. I even see what you're reading here, right? But it's kind of hard to believe that this is the reality because that's not the experience that I'm experiencing in life. I have constant battle and I lose more than I win and I feel like I'm acting according to the flesh more than according to the spirit. What is up? And we need to go back a little bit to Romans chapter 7 to briefly touch upon it. That when Paul thinks about himself in Romans chapter 7, he is not confused who he is. He's not confused about his identity. He's frustrated that this is what he's dealing with, but he's not confused. In Romans chapter 7, verse 14, he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into the bondage of sin. And he's not talking about when he was unbeliever. He's talking about now, in the present day and age. And he said, verse 20, if I am doing the very things I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And see, he's separating himself from the sin that dwells in him, from the principle that still affects him. He said, I'm no longer that old man. Even though I'm sold to this flesh and I'm living in this flesh, I'm not that. I'm not the one. Look, he said, well, verse 22, for I'm joyfully concurred with the law of God in the inner man. This is who I am. Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord so that on the one hand, I myself with my mind, I'm serving the law of God. This is who deep inside at the core, at my ontology, at my, at my being, this is who I am. And look how he separated himself from the sin, verse 17. So now no longer I am the one doing it, sin, even though I'm doing it, but it's not really me. It is the flesh that is still indwells in me, but sin which dwells in me. 
and again in 720. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, do we have to take responsibility for sin, what you did? Yes. But you are on the inside a spiritual person regenerated according to God's nature. And this is how we should treat and see ourselves and others around us. Now, what is happening? I'll give you an illustration, and we're going to go to the third point. If you find yourself, for instance, uh, in a house, you live in a house with your family, and then all of a sudden you start smelling something really bad, like rotten. And your wife says, look, we, it's, it's not unbearable. We can't live this way. Like, we need to either move out or find out what the source of the smell. I know we're all taking bathrooms. You know, I know it's not us. There's something in the house smells bad. And upon every investigation of every corner, you go in the attic and you find a dead raccoon. It's been there for a while, that it starts stinking. And if you know that stink, uh, I mean, the smell and odor is very hard to get rid of it. So what do you do with this raccoon? I mean, you can't kill it, it's already dead, right? All you could do is just take it and, and take it outside and bury it. But the problem is that the smell is still there. So the next day you're coming in and there's still smell and you say, well, what do we do with this raccoon? Are we going to kill it finally? And you, get a, you, and you try and seek how to kill this one and they try and seek how to bury it, but it's done. It's been done, but the smell is still there. The principle that is going and infiltrating our bodies is still affected by sin and we have to deal with the consequences. But this is not who we are. Our house is no more with the dead raccoons. We are full with the Spirit of God because later he said, and those who have the Spirit of Christ, and if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not even His. So therefore, Paul says there's no condemnation because we have new nature, we have a new mindset, we think differently. We understand that we have sin in our bodies, but we know that one of the greatest things going to happen to us is actually death. When we die, we're going to part way with this fleshly effects whatsoever, and then we'll feel the fullness of the new divine nature. Number three, these two distinct groups, they have difference in their nature. They have difference in how they think. They're not confused. Sometimes we feel frustrated, but you're not confused who you are. You are a child of God, filled with the Spirit of God. You are spiritual on the inside, and you're going on the way to destiny with Christ. And the third thing, we have distinct experiences. In verse six, he says, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. He's talking about two different experiences. <laughs> One group is experiencing death, and another experiences life and peace. Now, I want you to, to be observant and see that it doesn't say that the, the mindset on the flesh will die. This is what's going to happen at the end of the days when God will judge and they will finally die. No, no, he is equivalating. And he said the nature that thinks fleshly is actually living in the experience of death. 
And the mindset and the spirit, spiritual people, by spiritual nature, actually experience in today life and peace. It's remarkable. Remarkable. What does it mean? And I tell you that this fleshly people who are living in death, and we were also living in death because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, it's not that they get up in the morning and say, well, how can I destroy my life today? What can I do that really set me for good that I will go into destruction? Let me see, what can I choose today that I will choose death and leads to death? And I experience this. Nobody does that. But it's so natural to a person. He doesn't even see that. The Bible says there's a way seems right to a man, but the end that which leads to destruction. And Paul says, look, even though there are things this way, they're already experiencing death because there is nothing living of God in them. They're spiritually dead. They're going to eternal death, final, at final resurrection. But even today, everything that they touch, everything that they do, it's actually marked by this death experience. There is no life. Remarkable. Paul says, their life is death. They live in, in death. And not that they, they don't enjoy this life and they don't you know, participate in some very interesting things or sins and that is not pleasant. No, but he said, this whole thing, it's death. Galatians 5, 9, it says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, for God is evident, which are Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this of which I forward you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we were too in Adam. Before God infuses with a new nature, we experience death and we have no knowledge of life but today. Today, there's a different story. Because he said, the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. And again, I want to point out, it's not that you will live someday, which is true, and you will experience total peace and and rest. That is true. But he's talking about today, here and now, what are you, a newborn man, experiencing today? And he said, you're able to experience life in peace. There's no more guilt. There's no more obligation. There's no more pressure under you that I didn't perform or underperform and therefore you don't feel fullness of life. No, God is well with you. He's pleased with you because of Christ and because Christ in you. There's no more obligation to the law as well. It's been fulfilled for you and in you. No more obligation. No more guilt. No wonder that we experience in life today, we're living here and now with Christ. Even though we have remaining of sinful effect on us, and even though we have to die, we live. Is that your experience? Are you living life today Or are you just hoping that someday something, when everything's going to be good, 
like when your financial situation will be fi- fixed, when, you, when you're not going to be sick, when there's no problems in the church, no problem in the family, then you will live your life. No. If you have Christ, you're able to live in this miserable situation, and you call it, that's the life. You're living a life. It's not only when you're in Cancun, you're living a life today. You're living a life. And then he said about peace. It's not that he says peace that you have with God, but he says you experience in the peace. This peace is not so much about reconciliation, but the effect of reconciliation, the enjoyment of the condition. How can a person right now during the war in, 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 uh, between Russia and Ukraine, how Ukrainians or Donbass people could enjoy life and also have peace in the midst of war. Now, it's interesting that it's disturbing for us, these things that happen, but we don't lose peace. We don't lose peace. We experience peace here in our way, and we experience peace with God. And this experience of this, of this life full of peace, it could be compared to maybe like my daughter having a bad day, Right. My, my daughter is having a bad day. There's a, there's a bunch of homework that she doesn't want to do. Uh, she bumped her knee, and then she, she's hungry, and it's just like whining. And so we addressed this issue, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, she said, can I have a hug? Daddy, can I have a hug? And so I don't stop her and say, I don't understand how this hug is going to fix the problem right now. Right? There's no less homework. It doesn't fix your your vavochka on on your. So it doesn't do anything. So I don't. I just say, hey, come on over. I give you peace. I give you this hug. And so when we disturb with this life and we forget that we have peace with God, we come to God and say, can I have this heavenly hug, Father, in the midst of the situation? that I need this hug. I do not know how it fixed things, but it says in your scripture that it's beyond comprehension. The peace of God will fill your life and you will feel good because what's real, because what is more real is my relationship with the Father through Son Jesus Christ and through his spirit in me and that I have been adapted into your family. And I draw near. And we're able to experience this peace. And we will forget we have to go and ask Father for a heavenly hug. And he leads us to the Spirit, to the Scripture, and he tells us, you are my son. And you could cry, Abba, Father, and I am there. So different natures, different mindsets, leads to different experience in life and also sets up and paint a picture of different relationship with the Father, right? One, it says here that the mindset and the flesh is hostile toward God, and another is not, right? It's hostile. Another is actually pleasing to God. Verse 7 and 8 says, because the mindset and the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's the category, that's the relationship, that's the atmosphere, that's the attitude of the 
flesh towards God. It's in constant opposition. This is the basic attitude toward God of the unbeliever. Not that, you know, everybody equally hated God, but deep down inside of the heart, people don't care or just wish that God will be somewhere not there. Demanding all these things, and who do you think that you are that you demand from me? It was interesting to read some of the letters that came out by Mother Teresa. I don't know if, you, if you've seen it. Recently, they just pop up the letters, secret letters, that she actually, her, her observation and notes, and, and she admits there that sometimes I hate God. I feel void. I don't have nothing. And I think that sometimes my all life and life of aims and service is just a charade. I mean, that's her experience, right? Now, I'm not claiming about her anything right now. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that apart from God, there is opposition towards God. And it's ongoing opposition because that's what Paul describes. He says, mindset on the, on, on the flesh is hostile toward God. Ongoing opposition. They have exchanged the truth of God to a lie and worship and serve creature. Whether a creature that made up or creature meaning self instead of creator, the blessed God forever. And it's unavoidable opposition because, you know, what the flesh could do, could do it's just going to be always opposing to other flesh or other spirit. And the reason why he gives this way, he said, well, they, they don't, they oppose God, right? They oppose God because, well, because that's what, they can't do any other ways. He said, they're unable to do so. They're unable to please God. And so when you're unable to please God, you oppose God. And they don't want to. They don't want to. Flesh doesn't want to. Because to obey God, you have to die in your flesh. Flesh doesn't want to do that. Never. It's going to oppose everyone who would propose such a thing. That you have to die in order to be changed. And you say, oh, well, that, that's the end of my existence. Like, I'm not going to take that. And we know that apart from the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we can't do and perform anything good. And I want to tell you one thing, that it's kind of one-sided opposition. The hostility comes from this fleshly mind and, and this group of people, sinners. But it doesn't come from God yet. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And I mentioned before that if the wrath of God was revealed, why do we still live? How come that this world still exists? And I'm glad you asked. Because if Christ would not come to the cross and took all the wrath, the world would not survive. He destroyed his son so that we have another chance to come to him. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and God's wrath should be upon them. But he says, this was to demonstrate that he sent his son, to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. That means that 
everybody who committed before Christ, God just like said, okay, I'm going to pour out thing, the wrath on Christ and they're just going to forbear for a while and I'm going to see them. And it's interesting that what God said, for a while, I reconcile the world to myself. I'm no more hostile to the world. Do you see the hostility of God today? I don't. I see that my unbeliever neighbor experiences the same grace in this world as I do. Like the, the rain, when it comes, it comes on both of our backyards. The sunshine, it doesn't just shine on mine. It's on his too. He has the life. He has the health. We both get sick. Why? Because God for a while reconciled the world to himself. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians 5.19. Namely that God was in Christ, reconciled the world, world to himself. But yet on the other side when God said the peace treaty for a while, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to kill you and condemn you and judge you yet. Please reconcile with me. The all flesh says forget you. We have nothing to do with you because the proposition that you tell us it's unacceptable. We don't want to die. And the basic problem of unbelieving heart that it's, it's unable to believe, unable to trust God at all. Yet the Spirit of God is pleasing to God. And the Spirit of God who lives in us is pleasing to God. And therefore, your new nature that lives in you or you are is pleasing to God. We're not under death anymore. We're not under the law of sin and death. We're not under the power of death. And we no longer are in the flesh. We don't subject to flesh. We don't have to. It has no right. It has no bearing. We're a completely new category. We are living according to the, to the spirit. We are walking according to the spirit because we are under control of the spirit. In this sense, no Christian can be in the flesh. No Christian. And if you are in the flesh, you're not Christian. No Christian who is in Christ Jesus also in the flesh. It doesn't happen. Are we clear on our identity, who we are? Sometimes when we ask, like, who are you? We, we just like, I'm really not sure, you know, I'm really not sure who am I in my, in my inner being. I'm a saved person, but I'm sinning. Am, am I saint or I'm a sinner? Who am I in my core? But Paul says, you should not be confused. You have to know who you are. You know, it's interesting that it, however it appears in your life, in my life, it doesn't change the fact who you are. It doesn't. Because when, when we receive the passport, for instance, from the United States, we identify ourselves like a citizen of this country. But you can have two passports. It could be citizens of Russia and citizens of the United States, as far as I understand. Right? You, you have both dual citizenship. And this is how we think, like, oh, we're partially in the flesh, we're partially in Christ, and we have two passports. No, we're talking about your birth certificate. You can't have two sets of parents. You cannot. When parents give you birth, they, they give you birth into their family, and there's no 
one else could give you that birth. And you either identify with that last name or with another by birth. And you can't prove it because you weren't there. You were not there when they gave you birth. They were not, you were not there when they give you name. You have not been there and you trust your parents that that's, you're not just adopted kid from the street. You are by birth enter into this family. And so we trust these things because we believe what God said to us. Because you're going to be confused if you look at your life and my life and say, well, I'm really not sure and making conclusion based on my behaviors. No. We make a conclusion on what God told us in Scripture. And He calls you by name. Now, of course, if you have God's nature and if you have God thinking and if you have God's experience and you have God relationship that's going to affect your life isn't it it's going to affect your life it will transform your life it would replace the things that were not replaced it will not try to fix those things that are broken you will get rid of it what is of flesh still remaining and all this smell and other you throw it away whatever is affected all the furniture and all the things, you just throw it away and you get the new one because it's not fixable. Flesh has to die. So we have no obligation to the flesh because verse 12 says, so the brethren, we're not on our obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but we live according to the spirit. We have zero obligation to flesh because it profits for nothing. The end of the flesh is death, but end of spirit is unending fellowship with God. Romans 8 begins and ends with declaration of Christian security before God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's, there's no dominion of flesh in us. Flesh has no grip on us has no rights, has been crucified with Christ. We are a new creation today. The old passed away. We are no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit because we became partakers of the divine nature. And therefore, we are walking by the spirit. That's why Paul in Galatians, he says, if we live by the spirit, and you are, let us walk by the spirit. I want to end with this question. What group are you identifying yourself? Who are you? What do you think? What do you think about yourself and why? Why are you thinking about yourself this way? Do you have a biblical confirmation from the scripture that you belong to Christ? Why? Is because you did something for him? Is because you believe in things? Or you believe what he said, you are mine and I am yours. Father, we thank you for this amazing privilege. It is a miracle. It is absolute miracle that those who are in Christ Jesus has been set free from every obligation to the law and to the flesh and no longer are slaves to flesh. We're no longer in fear, in guilt, not because we ourselves didn't do anything 
bad in our lives and we do a lot, but because we identify with your nature. We are yours. And we know that you love us. How can you not love your sons and daughters? How can you not love for those whom you gave your son? How can you not bring us to glory and to sanctification? How can you not deliver us from all the effects of our sin and sinful old men? So we stand here today encouraged by your word that we are different people, not by our doing, but yours. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.